Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to the David Glenn Show. DG, he's out for the year. Granted, that's only about two days, but Scott Hamilton filling in for the third and final day until DG returns in a few days. And it is also the final DG, David Glenn Show, of 2019. The final David Glenn Show of this decade. I get to put a bow on it or maybe box it up and file it away like the, the Ark of the Covenant, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and they're, they're sending this package at the end of this gigantic warehouse. And it'll be full of the David Glenn Show archives from the 20-teens, I guess that's what we're calling it. We have Charles producing this show. We have intern Will on the other side of the glass, and I alluded to it last week that the David Glenn Show intern core is a lot like Top Gun. We just have to give Will a cool name. Speaking of cool, how cool was Joe Burrow over the weekend? LSU curb stomped Oklahoma 63 to 28 in the Peach Bowl. They're going to play for a national title. They're going to play Clemson. Yeah, I said it properly. Clemson. It's got to be in there. But that was a heck of a game. 29 23, the Tigers beat Ohio State out in the desert Fiesta Bowl. So the national championship is set. And we've got some time to let it soak in. We've got a, a little bit of a stretch for it to marinate and build up the excitement and the drama of what's going to happen at the Superdome in New Orleans on January 13th. LSU already a five-and-a-half-point favorite. Why the heck not? What we saw on Saturday is <laughs> unprecedented. Joe Burrow. I mean, Joe Burrow is already just crafting one of the biggest stories in the history of college football coming out of nowhere really nobody expected him to have the year he's had nobody expected him to have anything close to the year he had he was a 58 percent completion guy well he's almost a 79 percent completion guy now and what he was completing on saturday was touchdown after touchdown after touchdown before the bands even took the field at halftime joe burrow seven seven passing touchdowns in the first half he added a one or three-yard rushing touchdown in the third quarter just for good measure. Tied a record for the single-game high. Seven passing touchdowns. He did it before halftime. He also had 493 yards passing. Justin Jefferson caught four of those touchdown passes, also tied a bowl record. So LSU absolutely proved it was the number one team in the country, at least on Saturday night. Clemson and Ohio State, well, they got a case to make. Trevor Lawrence, he hit Travis Etienne for a 34-yard touchdown, and that capped a 94-yard drive with a minute 49 to go. And it also capped a pretty furious Clemson rally because the Buckeyes had a 16-0 lead in the first half. People were ready to slam the door shut on Dabo's crew, but they crawled back, and Trevor Lawrence looked like the Trevor Lawrence we expected to see all year. He looked like the Trevor Lawrence to whom we gave the August Heisman. 18 for 33, 259 yards, two touchdowns. Oh, and by the way, he rushed 16 times for a team-high 107 yards, and that included a 67-yard touchdown run in which Trevor Lawrence looked like Usain Bolt. He had the stride. He looked like a gazelle. It was unbelievable. I didn't know he could move like that. And Clemson's defense, that was the difference, though. I really believe that was the difference. Two Justin Fields interceptions. Remember, Justin Fields had only one pick all year. He had two against the Tigers. 
We're going to discuss this game and every other game that happened over the weekend at large when Ross Dellinger, Sports Illustrated, joins us at 12.32. We're going to get his take on the semifinals, get his prediction for a national championship, and I want to pick his brain with regards to expanding the playoff. Look, I have argued, 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 that there should not be expansion, that four is the right number, and what we have now is, is darn near perfect. Anything else would marginalize it. Look, it can't be like basketball. You just can't do it. The, the schematics are not right. The game in itself, at its core, very different. College basketball, you can have that Cinderella thing. You can get hot for two weeks, make a run, and do something special. Fewer games in college football. You have to earn it over the course of three months. But I had something change my mind this morning a little bit. Had a friend send me the recruiting rankings in California. Had who the best recruits were and where they're going. And they're all going to schools in the southeast that have regular participants in the college football playoff. And I think what that's doing is just stripping the sport of something that makes it special, that being regionalization. It's great for the kids in the South, it's great for the schools in the South, but it's making the rest of the country pretty irrelevant, marginalizing what they do in California, in Washington, Utah, and other parts of the country. I'm going to get Ross Dellinger's take on that, and I'm also going to ask our friend Brad Hopkins when he comes aboard at 2 o'clock. Brad, a former All-Pro offensive tackle for the Houston Oilers, Tennessee Titans franchise, now does radio work for Sirius XM. We'll get his take on expansion of the college football playoff. And I also want to discuss what's going on in the NFL. After all, today, Black Monday, there are going to be some guys out on the uh, unemployment line after today looking for jobs, coaches being shuffled around, changes being made, both on the coaching staff and in the front office. Carolina Panthers made that move weeks ago when they got rid of Riverboat Ron Rivera, and it worked in his favor. He was had an opportunity, I'm sure, to send out some feelers, have some discussions with some folks. Here's a job that's come open recently. New York Giants, they're firing Pat Shermer after two seasons. He went 9-23, and final nail in the coffin, losing to the Eagles yesterday, 34-17. So for the third time in four years, the Giants are riding the coaching carousel. And Washington fired team president Bruce Allen after a decade. Pretty, pretty listless decade. Going to be some changes made there, just as there are going to be changes made in Charlotte with regards to the Carolina Panthers. And I'm not just talking about the head coaching position. There's a lot of other things that are going to be shifting, a lot of other changes in the works already for an organization that has been hmm, pretty much rock solid since it was founded 25 years ago. Purchased by David Tepper last year, $2.275 billion. That's billion with a B. The Mr. Jerry Richardson, he had his way of doing things. Well, David Tepper has his way of doing things. A little more forward-thinking, a little more progressive, a little more, let's say, 21st century. Not as old school. Panthers are only 25 years old, but it's as much of an old school organization as you're going to find in any professional sport. That's because of Jerry Richardson. No longer in the loop. The way things are done in the Queen City going to change. He's revamping the front office, getting that assistant vice president of operations of football or whatever, GM. They're going to shift some roles. Unrestricted free agent list out today. Whew. There's going to be a lot of change. Mario Addison going to be an unrestricted free agent. Trey Boston. 
James Bradbury, who quietly had a really good year for a bad, bad, bad Carolina team, especially on defense. Who do they keep? Who do they let go? And who do they bring in? Both in terms of free agency as well as the draft, because we also now know where the Panthers are going to be selecting in the 2020 NFL draft. How do we know? Well, they finished 5-11. and 11. That gets you in the number seven spot. First 20 selections in the draft are set. The final two will be determined after the playoffs. Panthers finished, as I said, 5-11, and 11, lost eight in a row to cap out 2019. This after falling to New Orleans 42-10 yesterday, a game that wasn't nearly as close as that 32-point margin of victory for the Saints. Will Greer, second start of his career, knocked out of the game, had a foot injury. Kyle Allen, who took over for Cam Newton week three, and, well, we know how that worked out. It didn't really matter. It didn't really matter who was taking snaps. Johnny Unitas could have been <laughs> regenerated and come and took snaps. Joe Montana could have had Joe Montana, Johnny Unitas, and Joe Namath. Get them out there. I'll have three of them in the backfield. It wouldn't have mattered. It was a rainy day in Charlotte. It was a gray day in Charlotte. And that stadium, eh, about a third of the way full. We're going to say we're going to say rock bottom hit yesterday. They can only go upward from there. And how will they go upward? Well, they're going to do it by riding Christian McCaffrey. It's incredible what he's done. Even in this another lost season, one of just shattered expectations and honestly uh, some embarrassing moments, Christian McCaffrey has stood head and shoulders above not only his teammates, but 99.9% .9 of the NFL, basically everyone not named Lamar Jackson. Christian McCaffrey only had 26 yards rushing on nine carries yesterday, but he did catch seven passes for 72 yards, and that was enough to give him 1,005 receiving yards on the season. You pair that with his 1,387 yards on the ground, well, you become the third player ever to have 1,000 yards rushing, 1,000 yards receiving in the same season. So congratulations to Christian McCaffrey. 2,392 total yards third most ever in the history of the National Football League. And he finished with 116 catches on the season, breaking his own record that he set last year when he got 107. So even with uncertainty at quarterback and offensive line that was porous, to say the least, to put it mildly, and a defense that just could not stop anything, couldn't defend air, Christian McCaffrey kept chugging along doing what he's doing with a very unique set of skills Skills that are indeed changing the way the game is going to be played everywhere at every level. We'll talk about Christian McCaffrey and free agency and a whole lot of stuff when Brad Hopkins joins us at 2 o'clock. Oh, by the way, happy birthday to Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, 44 years old today. And what a year for Tiger. Now, uh, Tiger, 44 years old, an advanced age in golf, or at least traditionally it has been. He won his fifth Masters green jacket back in April. It was also his 15th major, but his first since 2008. And we've, we've discussed it time and time again. We're going to do it one more time. Tiger's career, his life really veering off the tracks when he hit that tree that night around Thanksgiving 2009. All the naked bodies fell out. Wife whacking the back of the window of the car, the SUV, and he's got chipped teeth and... He had the DUI and just, just all kinds of stuff happened to this guy during this past decade. 
Well, he regrouped in 2019 pretty darn good because the Tiger Woods we have now is Tiger Woods 2.0. He might not be bigger. He might not be better. He's probably not stronger. He's not looking like a cornerback or a strong safety now. He's backed off the weights. But he's, he's a different guy, and it's working out for him. As I said, he won that fifth Masters title. He won his 82nd PGA Tour title that ties Sam Snead for the most in history. He went 3-0 and at the President's Cup, and oh, by the way, he was the team captain, and they won. And he looked like he was having fun. That's something you would never have seen. He was not a team guy. He wasn't that guy. He was just laser-focused, man, blinders on. Not really even blinders. It was like he put himself in his own bubble to protect himself from everyone. Friends, family, competitors, rivals, whatever. Well, that bubble's not there anymore. He's a guy who's out pressing flesh with the masses as he makes his way from green to the next tee. He's talking to other players. He was coaching up a lot of those guys at the President's Cup, and it was pretty darn impressive. You wonder what he could have been doing all this time, but then again, years provide wisdom and maturity. I guess he had to go through some stuff to get to the point he's at now. We're going to reflect back on the decade that was basically lost, a decade that was supposed to include the time. We did not know where, we did not know exactly when, but the moment that he was going to inevitably pass Jack Nicklaus's record for most major championships didn't happen. He's still within striking distance, but eh, the odds are pretty long because if he wins a major now, he'll be the oldest ever to do so. But for him to win that Masters title, there, <laughs> that was one of the best moments of the year, one of the best moments of the decade, and we're going to reflect back on those moments throughout the show. Intern Will, whom I will give an appropriate Top Gun-worthy nickname to by the completion of this newscast broadcast, he's put together a nice list of the highs and lows in the sports world over the past 10 years. Lots of buzzer beaters, maybe even a horse winning a triple crown. Will's going to give us the lowdown of the decade that was throughout the show and we want to hear from you give us the best and the worst of not only the weekend not only 2019 but the 2010s 1-800-849-2761 you're listening to the david glenn show we're just getting started i don't want those damn dookies rooting for us they've hated all year long let them go right on hate the situation were reversed i would hope they would lose by a hundred you're in fantasy land if you ever think nc state's gonna make it back to the national championship game so just forget that right now go to hell carolina go to hell keeping the peace in nc on the david glenn show It's one of the things i told them at the half i thought we took their best punch i, mean, we, I don't think we could have played worse and, but we took their best punch, and it was 16-14. My message to them at the halftime was we got to find a way to get the lead in the third quarter because when we take a lead in the fourth quarter, we finish. And I think we're now 102 when we take a lead into the fourth quarter. That's not just this year. That's just who we are. It's just what we do. We finish. That's the DNA of our program. That was Clemson head coach Dabo Sweeney after the Tigers. Rallied to beat Ohio State 29-23 at the Fiesta Bowl. And I've got a few thoughts on maybe the slow start. Just a few. I almost think it took Clemson a minute to get up to game speed. Remember, this is a team that's been, well, we'll say criticized. Criticized for its 
strength of schedule or lack of a strong schedule. They haven't really seen a team of Ohio State's caliber or even really close to it all season. And it took him a minute to, to get acclimated to that. But able to do it quickly, you know, 16-0, that doesn't sound quickly, but it was. They turned it around quickly because they've been in that situation so many times in the past few years. Remember, this is a team. This is a Clemson program that has played for a national title three out of four years. Has won 29 games in a row. They know how to gather themselves. But it's almost like by design as well. I'm not saying Clemson let Ohio State get out to a big league. Make, make no mistake about that. But it had a very thoughtful game plan. They were doing things offensively early to set things up for later. And it worked fabulously. The, the game-winning score at the end, that was, that was something they had set up earlier in the game. And they said, we can go to that when we need it. We have that in our back pocket when the time is right. And indeed, the time was right with less than two minutes to go. And now they're going to play for another title. They definitely closed it out. And you could, you could criticize the defense. and this, The defense did a great job. Had Ohio State kicking field goals instead of scoring touchdowns. And the goal for any defense is to get off the field, period. Especially in today's college football, where there's a hyper-focus on offense and all the rules are offensive-friendly. It's a win anytime you keep a team out of the end zone. Get them to kick a field goal and get a score and a touchdown, you did a good job. Go over there and get a breather. Now, the people in Ohio, people with... Midwest, anybody that's anti-Clemson, anti-Southern school, whatever. They're going to say the officials impacted the game. And yeah, officiating played a role. It's poor form to talk about it. It's poor form to bark about it. But it, it happened. But the calls are the calls, and the way it stands is the way it stands. Because you have other opportunities. You have chances throughout the course of a game. You can always say, yeah, that guy missed a field goal. That's why we lost. No, you shouldn't have been in that situation. There's so many moments in a game that you can't point to just one and say, that's why we lost. You could say Clemson won for multiple reasons. Trevor Lawrence running the football, quarterback draws, quarterback counters. Lots of things that we have not really seen in the past. Again, beautiful game plan. Now, I do have one problem with the targeting call. I will say that. It, and it changed the tenor of the game, and it took Sean Wade of Ohio State out of the game. He was coming to sack Trevor Lawrence. Lawrence tucks the ball away, and when he does that, he's no longer a defenseless offensive player, such as a quarterback. He becomes a ball carrier. And the way that play shaped up, would have been okay if they had treated him as such. But still, in the back of their minds, they said, well, he hasn't become a runner. He's still a quarterback. It's targeting. He's got to go. But I digress. The calls are the calls. Other opportunities throughout that game to make up for those calls. And Ohio State just didn't do it. They blew a 16-0 lead. The other game, that was never an issue. LSU just came out full throttle and never really stopped until, mm, I think they could have kept scoring, honestly. Joe Burrow, one of the most amazing things I've ever seen on a football field. And the LSU offense at large is, is fascinating. There's so much variety 
with the formations. And they give Burrow the latitude to shift things. It reminds me a lot. It reminds me a lot of the Florida offenses, the early, the early fun and gun days under Steve Spurrier down in Gainesville. It, it reminds me a lot of that. But it's at a it's at a level that eclipses even even those Gators. I want to see what it does against the Clemson defense. Clemson defense looked pretty good. Actually, two interceptions of Justin Fields. He had one all year. This is the game we wanted. This is the right game. This is where it should be. Some people will say, oh, well, Oklahoma should never have been in that top four. No. No, it was just it was just a bad matchup, and there's a pretty big gap between one and four. There's a big gap between three and four, more than likely. But I'm starting, I'm starting to back off the no expansion thinking, though. I'm still got to still have to do some mental gymnastics, work my mind around how it could work. But right now, I'm happy for a 14 playoff because I'm tickled to death with this championship game we've got, and what we saw between LSU and Oklahoma. Even though, even though it was a blowout, I, I was never bored. I was never bored. I was at the edge of my seat. What are they going to do next? Can they keep this up? Oh my God! I don't want to see anybody humiliated. But holy cow, this is unprecedented. And I also like the fact that I was watching Jalen Hurts' last college game. That's been kind of lost in all this. Jalen Hurts, four for four. Four college football playoff appearances in four years. Holy cow. Nobody's talking about that. Nobody's mentioning it. And all he does is win. Yeah, they got their, they got their doors blown off by a really, 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 really phenomenal LSU offense, but... Jalen Hurts wasn't playing middle linebacker. He wasn't playing safety. I'll be fascinated to see what his legacy is in 10 years. I think I'll ask Ross Dellinger that question, college football writer for Sports Illustrated, when he joins us in about four minutes. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. The great difference between sport and capital E Entertainment and capital S Sport is that we don't know the outcome. And that feeling of uncertainty, positively or negatively, is unique. We are quoting Bob Ryan the way I would quote, you know, Aristotle or Confucius. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Be the final play of the college season, perhaps, if Clemson gets a touchdown to win it. Bama can hold him out. Perhaps a field goal attempt for overtime. Watson. Touchdown! Hunter Renfro. Little man makes another enormous play. One second remaining. They'll talk about that play in the Clemson Nation forever. Hunter Renfro seemed like he was in college forever. But that one, he became a legend with that one. Tigers got their title, now playing for their third title in four years, and they're going to do it against an LSU team that has come out of nowhere, or at least seemingly out of nowhere. We're going to ask Ross Dellinger how this came to be. Ross covers college football for Sports Illustrated. Ross, Happy New Year. Uh, happy New Year to you guys. 
Ross, I saw something on Saturday I've never seen before, and I think you'll agree that you've never seen it before. Absolutely perfect offensive football by the likes of Joe Burrow and the LSU Tigers. It was pretty close. Uh, it was uh, certainly impressive, you know, scoring uh, a touchdown on eight of their first nine drives. Uh, almost almost perfection, um, you know, and, and uh, it was something that, you know, we've seen – LSU's offense obviously uh, uh, be as dominant as pretty much it's ever been this season. But I don't know if we've ever seen a performance quite that good. Um, they were really good against Texas A&M in the last regular season game of the year, but that was against uh, you know an A&M team that uh, eventually lost five games. And I'm talking about an 11 and one OU, um, yeah, forced football playoff to do that against them was quite shocking who who gets the credit for this obviously you have to have the right guy pulling the trigger but you have to have the right guy pulling the strings as well up in the booth or on the sideline I, how much credit goes to to joe brady the uh passing game coordinator for lsu well you know i think it's um this year for lsu i think it was a, a perfect storm you know and in uh in a lot of ways you know, you, you not only had the hiring of Joe Brady, who, uh, as, as you mentioned there, um, you know, he was a former Saints assistant, uh, brought in kind of this spread RPO offense uh, that Sean Payton ran, um, that, that uh, you know, Drew Brees runs down there. And he brought it to LSU, kind of overhauled the offense. So uh, he, he certainly does, deserves credit. As you mentioned, the trigger man, you know, Joe, without Joe Burrow, you know LSU's not not in this position. And honestly, without any of these people, uh, I think LSU's not in this position. But Joe has been uh, just incredible, uh, unbelievably accurate, may, uh, just uh, making plays that um, others just don't or can't. Uh, and then I think the third part of this is probably a group of receivers that uh, get a little bit overshadowed that are really, really. Uh, talented, and uh, they have made some incredible plays this year. And um, you know, something that's overlooked is Joe Joe Burrow's off season with those receivers. Um, you know, he spent uh, all off season. He couldn't do that last year before last season because he had just arrived after transferring from Ohio State. And you know, he he could do that this past off season though. And they spent so much time together, uh, player only practices and things like that, and, and you can see it. It's all coming to fruition. So those those three things, you know, it's just kind of a, a perfect storm this year we're seeing by the Tigers. We're joined by Ross Dellinger, Sports Illustrated. Follow him on Twitter, at Ross Dellinger. And, Ross, about a year and a half ago, I was ready to bury Coach Orgeron. I'd say that Ed Orgeron's just a seat warmer. He's just a seat filler. He's no way, no how going to be the coach of the LSU Tigers after this season. Well, here he is in year two as the full-time head coach. What is Ed Orgeron doing right this time around as opposed to when he was the head coach at Ole Miss and those Rebels were just, well, they were bad? Well, he's got better players. Uh, you know LSU. Uh, that that's the first thing. He, he's uh, he's in a place that uh, where he can get better players. Uh, you know LSU doesn't have a, another f power five team in the state of Louisiana. In the state of Louisiana, when it comes to per capita um, recruits, football talent is top two or three in the nation. When it comes to 
just overall football talent, not even factoring in population, they're probably top six or seven, uh, just behind the big, you know, big three, Florida, Texas, and California, and uh, and maybe Georgia too. So uh, it, there's a lot of talent in that state, and credit Ed Orgeron for getting the talent there. The thing is, LSU has always recruited well. You know, they've always had good players, talented players. Um, Ed has kept that up, if not taken it to another level. So. I think one, you got to look at the talent, getting talent there. Two, you know, everybody does learn from their mistakes, and uh, I think Ed Ogeron knows that uh, you know he made some mistakes at Ole Miss, um, probably with a little too micromanaging, and uh, he's let you know he's let his coaches, uh, he's hired some good coaches, he's let them coach around him, he's realized his weaknesses, you know, which probably. Um, are, are, you know, on the offensive side, he's a defensive guy, and he's, he's let his offensive guys coach. So, um, you know, I'm sure he's learned to keep his temper down a little bit. Uh, that was a problem at Ole Miss, you know, and uh, he's learned that he's got to take off, you know, in a, in a lot of these ways. And, and uh, But the biggest thing is having people around him that he trusts and trusts to do their jobs, you know, and uh, that, that's been the biggest thing. That that's a key word with Ed Orgeron, isn't it? Trust. And another key word is loyalty. I know he's remained loyal to some people who have not always been in the uh, most positive light uh, publicity-wise. You know, I'm talking about Lane Kiffin. They're very close. I know they have a very tight relationship. It, it's important for O to have people around him that he, he can let his guard down, isn't it? It is. Uh, and, you know, if he doesn't trust you, um, you're you're in a bad place. And I think we saw kind of some of that uh, a couple of years ago with uh, an offensive coordinator in, in Matt Canada that he hired. It just didn't work, you know, and, and whether it be because of trust or personality issues, just didn't work. And, you know, Matt Canada, I think a lot of people would agree, has a great offensive system and scheme. And at times, LSU's offense did work. In fact, put up some decent numbers. But personal, personally, you know, they just didn't work together. And you saw how that how that unfolded, um, you know, and he promoted Steve Insminger, um, who Ed goes way back with, and they've excelled, and they they agreed after last season that they needed to bring in Joe Brady and, and kind of overhaul the offense. So, yeah, you know, it, he's got to have he's got to have trust with his assistants and for, for him to, um, you know, rely on them and let him coach, and, and uh, I think he has that right now. What will be the the number one point of emphasis for LSU though over the next two weeks leading up to that national game, national title game against Clemson? Well, I mean, you know, defensively, LSU has not uh, been the strongest at times this year. Uh, they've they've allowed, I think, thirty plus points maybe three or four times this year, and uh, but but they have been playing much better lately. Um, uh, better. Against A and M, against Georgia, and then of course against Oklahoma, um, they've really, really pe- played well. Probably played their three best games of the year. Those last three, so they're going to this game against Clemson, playing their best. But they'll be facing an offense that, um, you know, outside of maybe Alabama, uh, probably is the best they've faced this year. Uh, and that's going to be a chore for, for Dave Aran and the defense. So slowing Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne and, and uh, Trevor's many targets uh, that he has, kind of a trio of receivers there, 
uh, Justin Ross and Amari Rogers and Higgins. I mean, they, they've got – they're just loaded. And uh, so that'll be a chore. Couple more minutes with Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated. And Ross, changing topics slightly, I watched the college football playoff and I'm tickled to death. We have such a thing. I'm good with four teams, but I'm starting to maybe retrain my thinking with regards to expanding the playoff, possibly going to six, maybe to eight. I don't think there should be automatic bids for Power Five champions or anything such as that. You still play your way in. In a perfect world where Ross Dellinger is the grand poobah of college football, what kind of playoff system do we have? You know, I, I look at uh, pretty much every other level of football, um, which has excelled uh, in various ways with a postseason, and their postseasons are all pretty similar. You know, there's a playoff that has automatic bids based on uh, what you do on the field. You know, we, we've got to uh, – I think we've got to remove some of the power uh, and subjectivity that goes with a committee picking teams. You know, have it – actually done on the field. And you see at the high school level, you see at the junior college level, you see in the NFL, FCS, Division Three, and you can go on and on. There's a, a playoff with, with uh, automatic bids for conference champions or division champions or district champions. We've got to find a way to do that. And, and I think we're drifting in that direction where the Power Five champions each are going to get an automatic bid. And then you have maybe a committee that determines uh, – some of the others, whether it be two at large, a group of five, or maybe just a group of five, you have six teams total. It's got to be something like that. As long as we've got to cut out uh, the subjectivity of a committee as much as we can. Covers college football for Sports Illustrated. You can follow him on Twitter at Ross Dellinger. Ross, appreciate you joining us. Hopefully, uh, we'll circle back with you around national championship time. All right, guys. Thanks. Appreciate it. It's Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated. LSU's indeed a fantastic story. Out of nowhere, and I'm, I'm candid. I had I had Ed Orgeron on the unemployment line a year and a half ago. I said he's going to go somewhere else. I said there's no way, no way they keep him at LSU. I thought he was just keeping the chair warm for somebody else. I thought he was keeping it warm for Lane Kiffin because I could see LSU bringing in the former Saban assistant and bringing Jalen Hurts with him just so they could get back in the game, be back relevant in the SEC West. Well, no, they kept Ed Orgeron, and boy, are they relevant. Going to play for a national title January 13th against Clemson. And as far as Ross's thoughts on a playoff, I don't know if automatic bids work. If you do automatic bids, you've got to expand the field exponentially because you're going to get some teams that shouldn't be playing for an elite, elite event, that being a college football playoff. I look at 2012. Wisconsin won the Big Ten by going 7-5 and five in the regular season. Five-loss team does not deserve to be in the big dance. doesn't work like that. They got in because Penn State was ineligible for the postseason, as was Ohio State. So you'll have to figure out something else there. If you're going to put in automatic bids, well, you're going to have to expand the field so that teams that are rightfully deserving of it, teams that have only lost one, two, possibly three even when you consider that scenario, have a shot to play for the national championship. It's a best and worst of the weekend, best and worst of the year, best and worst of a decade. 1-800-849-2761. You're listening to The David Glenn Show.
You like college football? It's Taj Boyd. Taj, how are you? Welcome I'm to the good. show. I'm good. Dave, man, I appreciate you having me on the show. I'm excited to be here, man. And excited for the question that you're going to ask. Mark Richt of Georgia, please stop taking our best high school football players, but otherwise, thank you for the visit. Last thing for Virginia Tech coach Frank Beamer. So do we. The David Glenn Show. Thanks, David. Appreciate it a lot. You got it. I felt against Oklahoma. In order for us to get ahead, we had to score every possession. I had the utmost respect for Jalen Hurts and CD Lamb. Not to think that we wasn't going to stop them, but I felt that we had to put the pedal to the metal and get a big lead, which we did. So it does surprise me that they did the things that they did, but it does surprise me they did it with the ease that they did. This is LSU coach Ed Orgeron. He pretty much summed it up. Pedal to the metal. They had to jump out quick, score every time they got it. And they did. That's how you beat Oklahoma. Because you're going to have to score. You're going to have to put up points. But, man, seven first-half touchdown passes for Joe Burrow. I've never seen anything like it. It's not like they were playing in, no disrespect, the Holiday Bowl or the, I don't know, the Quick Lanes Bowl or something like that. This was a college football playoff semifinal. Heisman Trophy winner. He was number one on my ballot. He was number one on a lot of ballots. Just out of nowhere. And there's a guy, Joe Burrow's dad. I want to say Joe Burrow's dad put down like two grand preseason on his son to win the Heisman. <laughs> a little inside intel. He knew what was up. It's the best and worst of the weekend, best and worst of the year, best and worst of the decade. 1-800-849-2761. Let's head over to the phones. Check in with Gary in Wilson. Gary, Happy New Year. Happy New Year as well. How about Will the Thrill for intern Will? Uh-huh. I'm thinking something more like Diesel or, you know, I, I don't know, Barracuda. It's got to be like a Top Gun name. Yeah, okay. Uh, understood. <laughs> now, for the decade, best of the decade would be Luke Keekley, uh with the Panthers. Very sustained performance. I remember being a game live in about his second year there, and usually a defensive player doesn't draw your eye, but he was just like a heat-seeking missile as the Panthers beat the Falcons that day. And worst of the decade would be the Charlotte Hornets for sustained less than mediocrity. Interesting. You know, and the, the funny thing is, that, Gary, is that my son literally just texted me. He's in Charlotte, and he saw Luke Keekley at Shake Shack earlier this very hour. So, well done, Gary. And I'll agree, Luke Keekley, a, a, a st- stable force on a team that has very few stable forces, at least recently. And yesterday, against the uh, New Orleans Saints, he played like a man possessed. Final game of the year. They're not going to the postseason. Luke Kuechly was acting like the Super Bowl. Now, to his detriment, though, they're trying to run this 3-4 defense, and they've had some injuries up front. And if you're a linebacker, you're only as good as the guys in front of you. You're only as good as the guys in front of you. Injuries have made his job much more difficult. But I'm also of the mind that not playing in that traditional 4-3 really marginalizes his skill set. Luke Kuechly has as pure of steps as I've ever seen out of a linebacker. The guy was born to play middle linebacker. But when you pick him, you move him over one spot. You have him play in a B-gap, perhaps, instead of just lining up over that center. Mm. 
gets him out of a comfort zone. You're not really leveraging everything that he brings to the table. And you could see the frustration on his face time after time after time. And I think a big part of that has contributed to the Panthers' inability to stop the run. That said, if they do get healthy up front, if they do get a run-stopping defensive tackle, either through the draft or free agency, I think Luke Keekley, being the football savant that he is, can adapt to that system. Worst of the decade, Hornets. Well, I, I, you have the different eras. You have the Bobcats, then you have the Hornets. So I, I kind of look at them through different prisms, a different set of lenses. They do have that one winning season since they became the Hornets again, 2015-2016, lost in the first round of the playoffs to the Miami Heat. But that was a good year. That was an exciting year, one that fueled a lot of optimism going forward. That said, the Hornets have continually stumbled, stubbed their own toes in the NBA draft time and time again. And I look at the organization as a whole, it's not really built to succeed. When you have an NBA team that succeeds, that's because you can identify the alpha player, you can identify the number two player, and there's a, usually a wafer-thin margin between two and three. Who's number one on the Hornets right now? Who's their go-to guy? Who's their number two guy? Tell me number three. I can't do it. With Kimba, when he was in, in Charlotte, you knew he was the alpha, but then there was this severe drop-off to number two, and then I had a hard time finding number three, and, well, they're still also tethered to that contract that is wrecking that franchise for Nick Batum. Bad choices there by former general manager Rich Cho and the ownership at large. We might talk a little bit more about it on the other side. That's it for the first hour of the David Glenn Show. UNC coach Roy Williams is joining us. You are uncomfortable with your name in the same sentence as Dean Smith. I know that I will never be as good as he was in, in any way. And yet when I hear people say those things, yeah, those things are pretty neat. I, but I try to make sure that's about as far as I go. Keep it here on the David Glenn Show.